You are listening to Riverbend Church Podcast. To learn more about us and to connect, go to our website at riverbendchurch.life. As we dive in today, one thing is certain. Um, families like never before, no matter what family looks like for you, how you, uh, that makeup and structure is, single mom, two-parent homes, blended families, uh, single, looking for what's next in life, trying to figure out where you are now, those places, uh, I think, uh, no matter what, we understand that all of those come with tensions and problems. See, here's the truth. If you have a family, a family then you understand problems and tensions. You just do. And so this is us as a family, church family, acknowledging those tensions. And that, that's, the, that's the elephants that we're talking about, those tensions that lurk in our homes. And we're just acknowledging some of them and saying, God, we want to invite you to bring freedom. I don't think God designed us to live with the tensions and the problems will always be a thing. But when we fail to acknowledge it, that's when it becomes this lurking tension, this lurking problem. So it's us inviting the Holy Spirit, inviting the Word of God to speak freedom to some of these elephants. And so the lurking tension that everyone sees, but sometimes no one says. And so here's a key verse we founded this, this uh, conversation on the past couple of weeks. Jesus said this, you will know the truth and the truth will set you Free, and that's, that's ultimately what God wants. That doesn't mean easy, but getting set free. That's what God wants us to live in this world and ultimately in all of eternity is free. And so the problem with a statement like this, this is a very taken out of context verse, and I realize that I probably even unknowingly have betrayed it to you. Because here's what, if you look at this verse alone, you'll know the truth. Go back one. You'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. What you look at is you see, well, if I just have knowledge of the truth, it'll set me free. So I want to take you back a verse, and let me show you what Jesus said to get the context. Jesus said to the people who believed, and so the prerequisite was, if you surrendered your life to me, all right, so prerequisite of getting set free, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teaching. You can substitute truth here. So if you remain faithful to the truth, meaning you put your feet in it every day, even if you don't understand it yet. That's a lot of what being a real believer is. God, I don't feel it yet. It doesn't make any sense to do what you say, but I'm going to do it anyway. As we do that, though, then you'll know the truth. The truth will set you free. So check it out. It is the marriage of knowing what God says and applying it to your life. That's actually how we find freedom. That's actually how you step into it. That's what Jesus is saying here. And so for us, uh, the process of finding freedom I've kind of defined it as dealing with an elephant. So I'm going to hit these really quickly just so kind of catch up. The first one is we have to actually own it, that I have a place where there's not freedom in my life. I have some elephants between my wife and I. If you hadn't signed up for the mayor's breakfast, you need to get, get there because there's elephants sometimes that lurk and they live for a long time in our relationships. The second thing you have to do is name it. Once you've laid down your pride and your stubbornness, you go, okay, God, don't put a name on it. What is it that's actually this tension? What is it? I've felt it for a long time, but uh, sometimes you got to lay yourself before the Lord and say, God, show me, what, show me what this is I need to deal with. And then after you do that, you can finally get to freeing it. By freeing it, I mean, you find truth that applies to that struggle that you're wrestling with. What I've learned is as a pastor, so many people don't want to get free because all you got to do is go to God's word and say, God, I don't feel it yet, but this tension I'm dealing with, this problem, I want to apply your truth to my life. As soon as you start stepping into it, it's the first step towards freedom. So many people don't want to be free though. 
we stay ignorant, but lean in here, find freedom in the word. And so today we're talking about setting free what I'm going to call one of the most deceptive elephants of all. And by that, I mean like when we talked about this as a staff, I told you, I think I told you I hadn't, I came up with nine elephants that I've struggled with in my life that have been lurking tensions at some point. This one, when I put it out to our staff several weeks ago and said, rank these, give me your top three. This was the bottom one. In fact, I think like one staff member, I think Pablo, remember Pablo, Pablo chose this one. So me and you, Pablo, today. But he's the only one that chose this one. Everybody else chose others that they felt like ranked higher. And so I go, okay, I won't do that one. Well, I'm reading the Bible, and I'll tell you at the end today what what verse it was, but I'm reading, and God just kind of grabbed my heart and said, you can't skip this one. I know they didn't choose it. I know it's not the one you thought would be at the top of the list. But here's the elephant we're going to talk about today, counterfeit faith. Counterfeit faith. And so I'm going to try to get this up here. The elephant of counterfeit faith. Faith. So what is a counterfeit? Let me define it for you this morning. Counterfeit is an imitation that is passed off fraudulently and deceptively as the real thing. Imitation that's passed off fraudulently and deceptively as the real thing. So somebody fakes you out. This deceptive idea is you actually buy into the lie. You think you're carrying around the real thing. I thought about it this week. When I was a kid, uh, how many of you played Monopoly? You like that game? You play it? Some of you do. Uh, well, before I was old enough to play, I would watch my, you know, my older sibling, I mean, my older cousins play sometimes. We'd go to their house, they'd be playing. And you know, when I was maybe three, four years old, what I couldn't understand, why in the world do we keep so much money in a box in the top of the closet? I didn't understand it. I'm thinking, why? Why in the world did my parents keep all this money in that box in the top of the closet? I mean, I didn't really grasp. I know they were buying stuff with it. And so I thought, you know, if I can just get that money to Walmart, that toy my mom says that I can't get when she's not looking, I can get it. I mean, my three or four-year-old mind, I remember being really little thinking that. Now, no harm would have been done. I would have got to the register and the lady would have laughed me off and gone, ha, 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 very funny, you know, and then I would have been heartbroken, but no real harm done, right? I mean, it's a kid and Monopoly money, fake money. But back in 2011, I heard a story from my hometown, Noonan, Georgia, not proud on this one, but from my hometown, there were some six and seven-year-old little girls selling cookies outside a grocery store and they were selling it for a local charity. And they had sold a bunch of cookies that week, and a lady came in on the last day and bought a bunch of cookies, and guess what she paid with? Fake $50 bills. They didn't catch it until they went to the bank. They lost every bit of profit they made this week because this lady paid, or, or every bit of profit they'd made in the last couple of days because this lady paid the 50s. Now, here's the thing. That fraud actually cost them something. Here's, here's where the Lord really tied this together. When you take inventory of your family, if you carry around something that's fake, one day when it's exposed, it all falls apart. People land in my office sometimes. People land on, you know, hanging out with Courtney and I, and then even in our own lives, when we have adopted this counterfeit faith, we've had to have counsel from other people to get through it. And so it's my heart is, you know what? I couldn't imagine somebody at River Bend having a counterfeit and listening to me preach every single Sunday and serving our kids and serving through Project Hope. I couldn't imagine that. So I go, God, we want to make sure 
that this elephant is not lurking in our homes. And so just as we found last week that the early church wrestled with the elephant of unchecked emotions, they also fought counterfeit faith, the lurking tension of counterfeit faith. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Laodicea and Colossae, and it's near the end of his life. This guy wrote a lot of the Bible, but he's under house arrest in Rome, and he's kind of awaiting trial and a conversation um, with the governor there. But he's in uh, kind of captivity when he's writing this letter to the church. And so you're going to catch that his heart really wants to be with him, but he can't. And so here's what it says. I want to unpack this entire passage, and then we're going to come back and talk through it. Here's what Paul said. I want you to know how much I've agonized for you. He's pained that he can't be there with him, but he, he hears the work of God, and he's writing to him now. He said, the church, or you and Laodicea, and for many other believers who I've never met personally, he was brokenhearted and agonizing, even for those that had come to Christ that he didn't even know. He said, I want them to be encouraged and knit together with strong ties of love. And this is a key word we're going to come back to over and over today. Strong ties of love. He said, basically, their faith, I want them to be encouraged and be tied together with love. I want them to be, have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan. So what had happened in the church, most scholars would say that somebody had slipped in and started saying, there's a deeper understanding. It's not just Jesus. It's not just surrender to Jesus Christ. There's deep, if you want to be really spiritual, you got to go these other levels and do these other things. But he's saying, here's the plan. It's Jesus Christ himself. That's it. Jesus is the plan. And here's what he says. In him lie all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I'm telling you this, and here's the counterfeit part, so that no one will deceived you. You know what he's saying? So that no one will slip a counterfeit in your pocket and you think it's the real thing. You may have the real thing, but I don't want somebody else to come along and slip a counterfeit, deceive you. And how are they going to do that? With well-crafted arguments. They're going to take God's word. They're going to take worldly wisdom and they're going to try their best to deceive you. He says, though I'm far, far away from you, my heart is with you, and I rejoice that you're living as you should and that your faith in Christ is strong. And now, just as you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Now, track with me here. We've had so many people take a first step of baptism in their faith, like, Jesus, I follow you. They've, they've surrendered their lives to Jesus over the last year. Over the last three years, I'm blown away when we see how many people have come to our little horse trough baptism when, it, when it's up here, when it's outside. In a couple of weeks, we're going to do it again because there are many of you that are ready to go public with your faith. But as we do that, you can't see that as the last step. Oh, I have arrived now. It's actually only the beginning of your journey. And here's what he was getting at. Many of you have followed Jesus. Many of you surrendered, but just like you accepted him, now you've got to put your feet in it every day. Let your roots grow down into him. He said you should grow in your faith. Let some strong roots grow down into the word, into the prayer time in your life, into serving the Lord, knowing him. Let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will go strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. And here it is again. Church, don't let anyone capture you. Again, slip you a counterfeit. Don't let anyone come and capture you with empty, uh, empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking uh, and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. So here's what I would say. I don't have to convince anybody here that we live in a day where there are a swirl of philosophies and high-sounding nonsense trying to take people captive. Get on my side. You're either on my side or you're against me. You're for me or you're against me. 
And so this passage was written to those who would show up at church on Sunday, by the way. It's written to those who have believed in Jesus. And so here's what he's saying. Not that we don't believe in Jesus, but that somewhere along the way, we have shifted the Lord of our lives over to a counterfeit. It's like I know that I can go back in my heart to that place where I go, God, I surrender my life to you. But the reason we doubt our faith, the reason that we struggle to grow in our faith is because it's so hard to stay surrendered. Initial surrender is awesome because you feel the flood of emotions. You feel release of sin weight that God took for you at the cross. But then to continue to follow him and not let a counterfeit slip in, I think that that's where our faith gets stalled. Just like you accepted Jesus, keep following him. And here's the thing, whenever a counterfeit comes in, Christian homes fall apart. I would say this is one of the culprits of the reasons that marriages break up, of the reasons that people go into marriage with the wrong mentality biblically of what it is, the reason that parenting is even harder. It's because this slips in somewhere along the way. But he says, just like you accepted him, you got to keep investing, keep in following. And so Sometimes when counterfeit faith rules a home, it becomes the reasons that your kids walk away after they're grown. I've been in youth ministry for 18 years. I poured my life into students. Next generation, when they come up to sixth grade, all the way up through college and into that next step, that was most of, my, most of our lives. We poured it out right there. I'm still passionate about you. If you're in that age group, really all the way up to a young parent, that was, the, that was our hearts. So let's pour in right here because there's a lot of voices speaking. You need to hear from the Lord. So we started pouring into those that have little kids and those that were one day gonna be married and then those that were in high school and middle school. But here's the thing. Counterfeit faith became one of the determining factors, not how good your youth pastor preach, not even how many times you went to church, but if your faith wasn't genuine at home, guess what? There's a strong connection between kids walking away and saying, you know what? Tip my hat to the man upstairs. Jesus stuff, awesome, but I'm going to go live my life. On the flip side, whenever genuine faith was in the Lord Jesus Christ inside the home, coupled with what was happening in the church, guess what? You got some giants in the Lord along the way. I'm not saying this is a perfect scenario. Sometimes those things don't make sense, but a lot of times they do. And so how do we own this elephant? How do we name it, put a, put a name on it? What are, what are the things that deceive us, like counterfeit faith? Well, I'm gonna give you three today, and, and I'm gonna admit to you that I have wrestled with having these on the throne of my heart. I have been deceived myself, even as a pastor at times. Because Courtney and I talked about this, you know, Elephants don't just live forever. You can be just fine today, but then within three days, there's a lurking tension there because of some decisions you made or things how you're living. We think sometimes as believers, we got those way in our past. I would argue that the moment you say, I don't have any, be on guard. Because right at that moment, this lurking tension can come back up. And so elephants of counterfeit faith, I'm gonna give you three. Here's the first one, legalism. There's a lot of ways to define it, but here's how I think about it. Belief in truth without grace. Do you know what legalism is? It's following the rules. And the primary aim is to change your behavior, but often the heart is left untouched. It grows cold. We don't have any grace for yourself. You don't have any grace for yourself nor for others. And if you truly follow Jesus as Lord, what happens is you begin to follow your, uh, rely on your good deeds. The relationship and fellowship begins to be broken and replaced with, well, I have to serve in the parking lot today. 
I have to go do some good this Saturday for somebody. I have to do some good deeds this week. I need to go serve in student ministry on Wednesday. I need, and the next thing you know, it's, I, God is all about, well, I got to go do this, and I got to go do that, and I got to go do that. Here's what I want to ask you. Has legalism somehow slipped its way into the place of Lord in your life? Legalists will make the greatest cynics that you ever know. Paul makes it abundantly clear how we are saved in Ephesians. Look at this. God saved you by his grace when you believe, not when you did a bunch of good stuff. This is why it's so hard to accept Christianity for some. So you're telling me that Jesus loved me enough that he knew I couldn't be enough and all he wants me to do is surrender to him. Yes, that's how you receive salvation. Here's what he says. You can't take credit for it. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things you have done so none of us can boast about it. See, even if Jesus starting out being Lord, when legalism cre uh, creeps in, he's no longer our God. Do you know what our God becomes? It's this, good behavior and morality. I don't know if I'm speaking to everybody, but I know that there are some men and women here today and you grew up in the South and one of the most important things to your family was not being embarrassed by immorality. It didn't matter how you were really, really living. You just didn't respect anybody, and as long as you did that, then you were fine. You didn't mess up publicly. That was fine. Let me tell you this. You know one of the reasons that, that homes fall apart is because we can't be real with each other. We put this outward expectation of legalism on our kids, and we don't ever walk through it with them. You put it on yourself, and instead of dealing with the problems, we sweep it under the rug and act like we're perfect. This is the reason some people turn away from the local church. I've watched it because they come in all broken. They come in messed up. They come in going, my life is a wreck this week and everybody else there acts like it's perfect. I'm not saying we should be doom and gloom all the time. You know, but what if you said, hey, good morning, how are you? And they said, my dog died. I just got a divorce and my kids don't want to talk to me. Like, that's a bad day, right? You're talking like, whoo. But honestly, sometimes we need somebody that we can just say that to. Look, I'm broken today. Like, I know I'm okay, praise the Lord. I got the joy of the Lord, like I'm trying to, but my life is a wreck right now. Just to be able to, to say that, but sometimes we make God good behavior in morality, and what we think is, I'll be good if I can just get my kids to behave, right? And you go, oh, Lord, are you saying no? Here's what I'm saying. There comes a point where you have to decide, am I just being a legalist, or am I actually teaching my kids to surrender themselves to the Lord? Am I being a legalist just following the rules or am I actually in tune with the Lord of my life, what he's telling me to do? See, when this elephant lives in our homes, here's what I have learned and here's what I know from my past experience. There is a massive shadow of shame that also resides with you. When Jesus is not on the throne and legalism is, and here's why there's a shadow of shame, it's because you know you can never live up. Nobody has to convince us that, that we're not perfect, right? Nobody had to convince me I wasn't perfect. Now, my argument was, but at least I'm better than some people. At least I'm not as bad as my neighbor, you know what I mean? But the truth is, nobody had to convince me that I wasn't perfect. And so what happens is when you feel like that's what you have to be and that's how you get acceptance, that there's a shadow of shame because you know you, right? Right? You know you in your heart of hearts, and so this shame lurks all the time. 
do you know how you feel this elephant from people that maybe have this or you even feel it yourself? The elephant is this, lack of love. You remember all the way back to what I pointed out at the beginning that we would be tied together with what? Love. And here he is saying, uh, and here, here's this idea though, that the elephant, that lurking tension we feel is lack of love. Well, I go to church. I mean, I'm, I'm a, I say yes, sir, no, sir. I try to be respectful as a person. But do you love? Say the right things, do the right things. You know, as a legalist, when legalism becomes our Lord, what happens is we are not you matter attitudes, we are you sinner attitudes. You sinner, I'm a sinner, turn or burn. When I was a kid, we went to revivals all the time. And listen, God jacked me up and changed me and poured out the Holy Spirit. I've been there. But sometimes, didn't it just feel like if you grew up in church, all it was was like, get right, because you're a filthy sinner? I mean, every single time, and you're like, well, God, I'm doing pretty good right now, but maybe, there, maybe I'm still a filthy sinner. But always, it's coming down on you all the time, you know, what you're doing wrong and how you're talking wrong. And, how you, and what happens is there's a lack of love. Did you know that even pastors can fall into this category? of expecting people to change their behavior before God ever really invades their heart. Not giving people a chance. Here's what Paul felt about the connection between genuine faith in the Lord Jesus and love. He said, if I could speak all the languages of earth and angels but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, which means understanding, taking the word and unpacking it where people can understand it, revealing the things that are hidden in scripture. If I understood all of God's secret plan and I possessed all knowledge and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but I didn't love, look what he says, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I had to the poor and sacrificed my body, uh, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. See, Legalism promises new life, but it can't deliver. It delivers loveless drudgery in our lives. And so, question, do people tiptoe around you because you're a legalist? Like if they don't follow your rules, then they're out. You want to cancel them. It may be time to ask the question, like, God, do I need to let your love reinvade my heart? If you're having a really hard time loving everybody that's not like you, then maybe you need to come back to the place of love. Sure, we're going to wrestle with some people. There's certain people who just push our buttons. But when you look across your feed, when you watch the news, when you look across our city, and everybody that doesn't look like you and think like you and vote like you, everybody you hate them and you don't care for them, you probably got to come back and go, God, I need to put you back on the, on the, on the throne of my life again. Here's the second one. It's the other side of the coin. Same coin, opposite side of it. It's license. And here's the flip side. Belief in grace without truth. And this one has done just as much damage. When we put grace on the throne, but we never apply the truth, what happens is I feel like I can live anyhow I want. God, it doesn't matter how I live. After all, I'm saved. Who cares what I do? And that's actually, look what Paul says about this. He actually talks about it a lot, but in Romans, he says this, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can keep on sinning? Does that give us permission to go, God, since you paid it all for me at the cross, I can live any how I want? Here's the emphatic, of course not. Paul's laying it down. No, 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 that's not what it means. Do you know what we make a God of when we put a license on the throne of our hearts? We make a God of this, freedom. 
And boy, do we need to hear this. I know I did. We have made a God of personal freedom, no matter what the cost to other people in our life. When we settle for this counterfeit, it becomes impossible, uh, impossible to distinguish between a person who follows Jesus and one who does it. And the reason is, we blend in with everybody else. It's easy to love those who are like us. It's hard to love those who are not. Maybe impossible. You know what people feel when we wrestle with this elephant? This is really it. It's lack of self-control and conviction. You watch somebody and they claim the same faith that you have, but then you see, you know, nothing in your life, there's no fruit in your life. And you don't have to be judgmental, but you can get concerned when somebody claims to follow Jesus Christ, but they don't care about God's people, the church. They don't care about what the scripture says. They don't care. They don't seem to have any conviction in their life, no matter how they live. Listen, you can begin to pray two things. One, if they don't know the Lord, that they'll surrender. Or two, God, will you make their heart sensitive again? Because we lose that ability, that spirit ability to control ourselves to let the fruit of that spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, let those flow out of us. But we lack that whenever license is on the throne often. It's some of the nicest people at times, but some who don't seem to ever really be able to step into new life in Jesus. See, when freedom is your Lord, you can't live with the you matter attitude. And even if you do, Inside, it's only those that matter who think like me. If you truly know Christ, there's often a war going on whenever a license gets on the throne because here's what's happening. The Holy Spirit of God jacks you up every time you get in church or every time you read the Bible, every time you, you're scrolling through your feed and you know that preacher that was talking straight to you on Facebook, you're like, how did he know that story you watch? And it's like, he was speaking straight to you. And you're like, how in the world did he know? And God's speaking, and all of a sudden there's conviction that comes and we swipe away. We get away from it as quick as we can. Maybe license has slipped this way onto the throne of your heart. Here's another counterfeit, and I think this one is so destructive and so deceptive, and it's this, luxury. Now here's what luxury is. When luxury takes the place of the Lord Jesus Christ, we begin to have this belief that blessing never includes suffering. When you read the Bible, what you'll find out is that suffering uh, was for every single Jesus follower. Every God follower throughout Scripture had suffering in their life, evident. Some terrible suffering. But here's the thing. It's still possible to read the Bible and to look around at other believers and think, well, you know what? There must be no God. That's what happens when luxury sits on the throne. There must be no God, because why would I be going through this? Or God doesn't care. God is love, seriously? Do you not see what I'm going through? Do you not see what my family, my friends are going through right now? You know what happens? You can even feel that God is mad at you when you have luxury on the throne of your heart, whenever something bad happens. Here's the God that we make whenever luxury is on the throne. It's happiness. Personal happiness is the Lord. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I wish that we were in a fight as a people overall to be holy because there'd be some moments of happiness that came with that. But the truth is, we're in a fight to be happy and the Bible yet calls us to holiness. Not opposite of each other, but just two different gods in our lives, little G gods in our lives. See, 
James, the half-brother of Jesus, said this, is that suffering is actually trial. Suffering is what perfects our faith and makes us stronger. But the truth is, whenever luxury is on the throne, we don't have a reference point, and we don't even know how to pray with those who are suffering. All we can do is be like Job's friends and say, well, if you'd get right with God, then you wouldn't be going through this hardship. But have you ever seen somebody, though, and it seemed like they were doing everything right? Like they were trying to parent well, and they were trying to fight uh, well. They were trying to be a, a, a holy young man or woman of God, and then tragedy struck. I'm going to tell you something. I've lost more people, and I know you have too, this past couple of years. We've lost relationships. We've lost people to depression and suicide. We've lost people to the virus. We've lost people just from the isolation. We have lost people as we know them in so many ways, and I absolutely hate it. But sometimes we'll look at this brokenness and we'll say, well, obviously there's no God. Look what's going on around us when luxury has become the God of our lives. See, our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan right now, guess what? They know a different level of suffering that we don't know anything about here. I've heard stories in the past couple of weeks of how the church is multiplying as people are being beheaded and killed. It's crazy, but here's the thing, what I can tell you, luxury cannot be on the throne of your heart if you're gonna stay faithful when it comes to uh, persecution and suffering in your life. Do you know how this elephant is felt? It's right here, lack of perseverance. This is how people see it. This is the tension in their lives. You see people that flake on God as soon as something hard happens. Give up and defeat and wonder if you're really saved. And so, if luxury is on the throne of your heart, we so quickly turn back to the old us in times of trials and difficulty. But can I tell you today what genuine faith is? If you had a counterfeit slipped in your pocket somewhere along the way, slipped in your heart, your life. Genuine faith is this simple, to bring it back to Jesus, you are my Lord, and I want a personal relationship with you. To have faith in his finished work on the cross that receives the spirit and produces fruitfulness in our life. It's really knowing and loving and living him and throwing off the old and putting on the new fruit of the spirit shows up in our life. But as I was reading through this, do you know why I came back to this and said we absolutely have to talk about this one? It's because in my Bible reading, I got to Matthew and I'm reading through and I get to Matthew chapter seven. And as I read this scripture right here, the Lord just nailed my heart and said, I was living here one time and there may be somebody else that has put something else on the throne of their life, but they're calling it Jesus. Sometimes we call license Jesus. Sometimes we call luxury Jesus. And sometimes we call legalism Jesus. And let's be honest, he can be in the mix of all of those, but that doesn't make him Lord. But as I read this scripture right here, it was like God just pounded my heart and said, you gotta say this to Riverbend. Here's what I read. Jesus said this, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. I thought, Hmm. what's going on with these people? They're saying, Lord. But you know what Jesus was getting at? They were saying, Lord, but really what they meant is luxury, license, legalism. I followed all those things. God, we've done great things. We'll enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven. What's the will of the Father? 
first surrendering to his son, the salvation gift given for you. But he says, on judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, look at the deception. God, we thought we had it right. Lord, we didn't realize we were missing it. We prophesied in your name. Lord, we went to church and we talked about Jesus and we sang the songs and we even even felt your spirit when we were singing. Cast out demons in your name. Perform many miracles in your name. But look what he says. I will reply, I never knew you. I wasn't the Lord of your life. You know, somebody could pay you with a fake 50. And if it's a really good counterfeit, you may slip it in your pocket. And you know what? If you decide, you know, I'm just going to fold this up and put it in there and have it a little stashed away in case I ever need it. But let's say you go through 30 years of your life and you still got that 50 folded up in your pocket. But one day when you pull it out or you try to deposit it in your bank one day or you try to go to somewhere and they check it, they're going to go, you thought you had the real thing the whole time, but guess what? This is worthless. That's where my heart was pricked is when he said, depart from me. I I never knew you. You thought you knew me, but what you knew is something else. Something else was Lord. And I thought, how terrible would it be for the people of Riverbend to live with this tension the whole time and wonder like, why can I never really, really, really have have it right? Why can I never make Jesus uh, the center of my home? It's because he first has to be Lord of your life. Couldn't imagine you getting to the end one day and standing before the Lord and saying, God, we suffered through some terrible years. We watched our brothers and sisters suffer. Lord, we went, I, God, I, I, I lived through a lot of hard stuff and then get before him and say, I never knew you. So can I give you the bottom line here today? Here it is. Genuine faith is when you know Jesus and when he knows you. Legalism says this, we deny our imperfections and we live a loveless life. License says we deny God-given guardrails and we live a truthless life. Luxury, we deny evil in our world and suffering and we don't know what to do with it. We can't reconcile how blessing and suffering could, could both be in the same. But listen, a real and personal faith in Jesus embraces grace and truth and blessing and suffering and it brings you near to a loving God who will not forsake you even in the down and out times even when things are not working out like you thought they would or like you hoped somewhere in the Bible you found a promise they would at this time. It gives you the strength to continue on knowing that the best is yet to come. But listen, it's only if Jesus is your Lord. So can I ask you today, is Jesus really the Lord of your home? Is Jesus really the Lord of your life at the place where you are right now? So there's a couple of responses here. Here's the first one. Do I need to free a counterfeit elephant? This is for those that would say, you know what? I do know the Lord Jesus, but man, I have replaced my relationship with him with serving. I've replaced it with just being a happy person. And I wonder why my kids are struggling to follow him. I wonder if you could come back today and just go, you know what, it's time to free this joker. Jesus, I'm ready to put you back on the throne. Can I tell you, your home will look radically different than most of your neighbors because of how much love and how much truth you stand on. We should live as in such a way that we can love everybody around us, but they ought to look at you and go, 
they're a little bit weird. Like they love really a little bit weird. Like they, they offer forgiveness. They have this standard of conviction and truth they live on and it doesn't seem to be gotten from Facebook. Do I need to free an elephant? Do you know? Over and over again, I can tell you stories all around the room. I'm just thinking, both this service, other service, those online, today some watching online, came to this place where they realized something else was the Lord of my life and that was the tension. That was the ultimate elephant. And I finally came to this place and going, God, I surrender to you. Some of you holding back on your next steps in your faith journey because you're too prideful and it's time to lay it down. Just go, God, you know what? I've gotten this far. Why not lay it down? Come on, Lord. Lay it down at Jesus' feet. But that's the only way you'll ever free it. It's a decision that you have to make. Dad, if you're responsible for a home, let me tell you something. You set the tone in that home. And as long as you got one of these counterfeit faiths being the Lord of your life and Lord of your home, you can't expect your kids to actually have genuine faith when they grow. Do you need to set it free today? If you've never surrendered to Jesus, you can do that. Listen, he can become the Lord of your life and the Lord of your home in this season you're in. But there's one more response today. Do I need to pray for someone I love who has been deceived by a counterfeit? See, sometimes the people we love the most, you try to save them yourselves and you can't do it. You ever try that? I'm gonna twist their arm. I'm gonna make them obey the rules. And what happens is they get pushed further and further and further away. So maybe you just need to come back to the Lord and say, God, I can't do it, but I need to pray for her. I need to pray for him. I need to pray for my kids and I don't know where they are right now in their spiritual journey. And so here's my response. If you're watching online, you can kneel down at your couch or pull over to the side of the road, whatever you need to do. But if you're in the theater today or you're in here, I wanna invite you both in our theater and in here. There's kind of little steps at the front. We're gonna turn this place into a prayer house this morning. Jesus said, my house will be a house of prayer. So if you need to surrender, there's something freeing about finding you a spot and getting on your knees if you're physically able and just saying, Jesus, I'm putting you back on the Lord of my life today. Or for the first time, Jesus, I'm making you the Lord. So we're gonna pray. And as we do, I want you to stand to your feet with me, if you will, in the theater here, stand with me. And as I pray, as soon as we say amen, listen, I want you to come this morning. Jesus, I just wanna say, God, that I feel you working, Lord, and you're trying to free us, Lord. You're trying to free some uh, young adults, Lord. You're trying to free some moms and dads and, and those that are just wrestling through life right now, Lord. You want to be free, us to be free of this elephant. And God, the only way is to receive you as Lord. And so, Jesus, I pray today that every heart would be bold have the courage to step forward. And God, if we're praying for somebody who's been deceived by the craziness of this world, Lord, that we'll be able to pray for them and call out. And God, that you will respond. Lord, you tell us that if we pray, you hear. And God, if we ask in your name and according to your will, that you will do it. And so, Lord, I just proclaim that over your people today, God. We're crying out for the people we love. We're crying out for the houses we live in, for those that we don't know where they are on their spiritual journey. Lord, we're crying. I pray today, Lord, that you would help the pride and stubbornness be laid down so that we can deal with this before you. God, will you have your way as we sing in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Riverbend Church Podcast. If you want more information, please visit our website, riverbendchurch.life.